0: Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done.
1: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang.
2: of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow.
3: I'm Caroline Hyde, back at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. This is Bloomberg Technology. Today, tech, it's on top. We are diving into the AI rally. Here's looking at you, Marvel and NVIDIA. Hype versus reality. And later we have Arts Cathy Wood joining to discuss that rally, why she sold out of NVIDIA in her flagship fund at the start of the year. And as we approach Memorial Day weekend, how is AI changing how we travel? Choice Hotel CIO, that's Brian Kirkland, is going to join to explain more on what to expect. But first, let's just have a look at the macro picture. You know what is weighing over this market over the last few trading days. It has been the debt ceiling debacle. It continues. Still no answer, but there is hope. And it's driving the Nasdaq up 1.8% as we head towards the weekend. Volume's just a little bit thinner ahead of the Memorial long weekend here in the United States. Two-year yield actually. Seeing a reversal right there. You're seeing seven basis points, almost eight basis points still pushing higher. Is that on the inflation reread read that we see? The macro data coming in just showing that the Federal Reserve still needs to tamp down on that all-important price, the PCE data that they particularly look at, more 4.4% year-on-year growth. Bitcoin though managing to get a bid as the U.S. dollar coming calms down a little. Maybe we're not searching for such safety from the U.S. dollar today. Let's get the latest though on this debt ceiling negotiations because it is fast moving. Bloomberg's Balance and Power co-host Joe Matthew, I'm pleased to say, is with us in Washington. And just is it going to be a busy weekend for you, Joe?
2: It's a great question. It will be a working weekend for somebody. Even if they come to a deal today, staffers are going to have to work the weekend on Capitol Hill to actually write legislation. Keep in mind, we're just talking really about bullets here, top line uh, points that would go into a potential deal. And then that would start the clock ticking. I will tell you that uh, folks I talked to over the course of the week on Capitol Hill were really hoping, Democrats and Republicans, to have something done before the weekend so investors wouldn't have a lot of fear going long into a long weekend. And it's really unclear if that's going to happen. There is a sense that something may come about here today as they start to narrow differences. And it's interesting here, some of the more significant budget cuts that had been demanded by Republicans appear to not actually be happening here. This actually could be a bit of a wash with what we're seeing. And I do want to stress, there's a lot we don't know. Even some of the things we're hearing could change over the course of this day as negotiators continue their work. What we do have, though, is a likely two-year raise in the debt ceiling, two years in capping discretionary spending for that period. Period of time except the Pentagon. Defense spending, as we understand, would rise 3% next year, which is in line, in fact, with President Biden's uh, budget proposals here. We cut about $10 billion as well from an $80 billion chunk that was going to go to the IRS as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. There are some things we don't know about in terms of what would happen to unspend uh, COVID funding or, for that matter, permitting reform, which we've been hearing a lot about. So it's it's really a, a critical moment here. It's very quiet in Washington and things are getting quiet around the negotiating table as well, Caroline, which might in fact mean that we are close to a deal
3: calm before the storm. Blue Balance of Power Let's co-host, help. Joe Matthew, we thank you so much. Let's dive into some of your tech movers, though, on the day, because aside from politics, we are front and center artificial intelligence on the day. Just look at how some of these companies are being powered. I want to first, though, check in on what's happening with Tesla, because actually getting a nice rally here. Interestingly, frenemies for the day, Ford plus tech, Tesla, maybe sharing some of that charging infrastructure. They do this deal, they go on guess where? Twitter Spaces, to discuss it. Tesla currently riding high, Apple almost. 6% on the day. NVIDIA, though, up 1.8% after that enormous rally the previous day post their earnings, really adding, what, $180 billion in one day to the market capitalization. We haven't really seen that. Only three times in history have we seen that sort of market cap add on one single day. And Marvell, playing some catch-up too. Look, this is a $50 billion overall market cap for this company, so nowhere near the near trillion that NVIDIA is coming upon. But Marvell Technology also showing that artificial intelligence is the way for chip makers at the moment. 27% rally as their numbers show that artificial intelligence could be driving their future revenue growth. Let's dig into that AI rally. Let's do it all with Bloomberg Intelligence deep Mandeep Singh. Mandeep, $200 million is there or thereabouts they get from AI-powered silicon. And it's going to grow, if not double, they think. What, $400 million in the fiscal 2024?
4: Yeah, and they're talking about $800 million now. So that is what I think got the market excited. But look, uh, I think one thing is clear is inventory bottoming is playing out for all uh, or most of the chip makers. I wouldn't say that for memory yet. But for the fabulous chip makers, we saw that with NVIDIA, you know, they raised their guidance by almost 40%. So we didn't see that kind of a guidance raise, but uh, I think the bottoming part is almost certain, given what we are hearing from everybody.
3: Just remind us where Marvel has leaned in. What are they in particular offering in terms of networking, in terms of the ability to service what basically is a huge compute need by nearly everyone right now?
4: Yeah, and and the big change right now is things are moving from CPUs towards these custom accelerators. And that's what you need for running uh, large language models and doing generative AI. And that's where Marvell, even though it's a niche player when it comes to networking and storage, but that's how you design those custom chips for, you know, working as accelerators. And you can do that with CPUs. Uh, Every hyperscaler is kind of doing a combination of uh, NVIDIA GPU and custom chips on the networking side, and that's where you see the demand when it comes to a small chip maker like Marvell.
3: Well, we can see the public market impact on the day. Bloomberg Intelligence's Mandeep Singh, thank you so much for breaking it down. And let's just think about how this affects publicly traded companies, how it affects, of course, those that are raising capital in the private markets as well. We're going to get the VC angle with Sarah Kunst, Clio Capital Managing Director and Founder. And Sarah, you hit me up on Instagram, in fact, saying this Nvidia price point, the level that they're trading at, the overall price, This is really hefty stuff. Where are you starting to see the value in AI play, particularly on the chip side of the equation?
5: I like Taiwan semiconductors, right? You know, not only are they a contract manufacturer who's providing services, you know, to massive companies like the apples of the world, they actually help NVIDIA, you know, do their chip manufacturing. And so NVIDIA is a good company. It has done a great job of being relevant, you know, through crypto, through AI, you know, through gaming over the last couple of years. Um, But the reality is that, like, it's getting way too much credit for where its real earnings are and, and where the revenue is. And I think that that's dangerous to keep buying into that kind of rally when it's not clear that they're going to grow into those shoes versus a Taiwan semiconductor that candidly, I think, is is close to undervalued uh, for all of the actual, you know, amounts of chips it's manufacturing and the technology there. This technology is not something that's easy to build, but it's something that there are several companies that do it. And the reality Right now, one of those companies is getting crazy credit and all the other companies are sort of not feeling the love.
3: Yeah, when I'm looking at what 20 times future earnings is where we're currently trading at for TSMC. When you're looking over at what that sort of price point is for NVIDIA, we are 55 times future earnings. Putting on your... VC hat and thinking about the companies within your portfolio, have you lent in in any way to some of the underlying infrastructure to help power the AI boom that we're seeing? Is it more that you're having to ready your portfolio companies for the disruption that AI and indeed large language models and generative AI might have on them?
5: You know, it's a little bit of both. Um, I'm an investor in Grok, which is a a TPU company, Um, you know, spun out of Google, and it's definitely an interesting company in the space in the private sector uh, working on these chips. Uh, It started for autonomous vehicles, but a lot of that, you know, same technology and compute power needed is incredibly relevant for for AI uh, and some of the LLM AI that we're seeing. And then you know, the reality is that there's a lot of great software companies being built around this as well. I'm an investor in Forethought, uh, which is a customer service AI company that's been doing incredibly well for a few years. I'm an investor in in, uh, Cobalt Metals, which is a rare earth mineral mining company um, that actually uses AI to figure out, you know, where can we get more lithium? Where can we get more of these rare earth materials that we need to make our batteries for everything from, you know, our Teslas to our iPhones? Because right now, it's just incredibly hard and expensive to source that material. So, you know, if software was eating the world 15 years ago, I think it's reasonable to say now that that AI is. It is. And yet, Sarah, it must be
3: inundated with emails that suddenly have companies vaguely reworking themselves, repivoting themselves to seemingly be adopting this new sea change. How easy is it and understandable is it to ensure that you're getting the right founder and indeed the right business model built upon it?
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the reality is that that um, a lot of people who were Web three companies a year ago, and you know, big data companies three years before that, are now suddenly AI companies, and they either have the smartest, most you know, visionary founders in the world who who just can never quite get a product launch, or you know, they're hustlers and they're trying to make it work. But the reality is that you know they're they're sort of chasing the trend, and so. The nice thing about AI is that it's not an easy space, um, meaning that if you come in and you don't have pretty significant, you know, uh, engineering experience, you don't have some experience with AI, with, you know, ML, with with large language models, all of those things, you know, it's incredibly hard to say that, that you have a chance at credibly building. Now, could you build a really slick consumer application that pulls in, you know, that relies on on APIs from existing AI companies? Absolutely. And I think we'll see a lot of those. And, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but it, it is surprisingly somewhat easy to tell who's real and who's not, um, because very few people have, you know, the technical background that's going to allow them to make a fundamental breakthrough in AI. And even the fundamental breakthroughs take an incredibly long time. Mm-hmm. They're in. Expensive, And so there's just not going to be a ton of them.
3: When you're a multi-stage venture capital firm such as yourself, how do you decide what size of company you want to be getting in on at this particular level? What sort of valuation you can even be picking? Because what, what are the comparables out there in the public market when you're seeing such enormous rallies in a place like NVIDIA?
5: I mean, I think that you have to be practical, right? Right now, venture is definitely on a bit of a downturn. And the only area where you're seeing these sort of unreasonable or sky-high valuations is in AI. And, you know, if you think that somebody's building a company that has a real fundamental sort of intellectual property moat that could truly change the world, like you actually believe that it's the next Google. What's next Google, then maybe you do invest at a slightly higher valuation. However, you know, I think what a lot of people do is they're just sort of jumping on, uh, you know, any pitch deck that looks interesting and, and they're paying prices that are just completely, you know, out of whack to reality and, and the market right now in venture. And so, you know, for me, I've been doing a lot of my AI investing a little bit later um, when it's a little bit de-risked um, because, a lot of my AI founders are doing more kind of fundamental, uh, you know, work where you don't know at day zero how it's going to pan out. I think early stage AI investing right now, you know, is incredibly, incredibly risky. Um, unless, again, it's something that's building, you know, building a consumer enterprise interface that upfront they say, look, we're using GPT. We're using, you know, these existing AI tools, um, you know, to make it easier to do X, Y, Z. Great. That's an interesting business I believe you might be able to scale much more easily than the idea that, you know, two women in a garage are going to go make the next, uh, you know, AI super chip. Hmm.
3: Here's to the two women bit though. Clio Capital Managing Director and Founder. Sarah, it's really great to have some time with you. We thank you. Builder AI. It's an AI-powered software platform. It's raised more than $250 million in its Series D fundraising, led by QIA, the Qatar Fund. I sat down with the co-founder, Sachin Dev Dugal, at the Qatar Economic Forum, where he discussed the importance of digital innovation and, in fact, well, the investment he received from that sovereign player and how it marries the VC. Just take a listen.
6: Our total round was $250 million. Um, The region for us is really important. Not only um, the GCC, but also because we think between the markets here, there's so much digital innovation that's going on, so many small businesses that are now building software. Um, But I think the second thing is, uh, especially with the QIA, they're a very patient investor and long-term capital, and when you're trying to build something generational, um, you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to learn from those mistakes, and you want someone that's not running necessarily a seven-year cycle. But they're really thinking about the world at large.
3: You, of course, kept on some previous investors inside, for example. Yes. What's interesting, do VCs, do you think, have to be worried about basically startups now going direct to sovereign wealth funds? Is that becoming an obvious form of capital now, not needing to see these sort of you know middle people who are venture capital?
6: Look, I think it's different, right? I, I, I don't see the big sovereigns writing $1 million checks, $10 million checks. Um, I definitely think series C and D you are at the early end of it, but you could easily cross over into sovereigns, just like you could cross into crossover funds at that point. Um, it really depends on what you're building. Yeah. If, you're, if you're building to be acquired, um, you're probably well suited towards a more venture style investment. Um, if you're building um, where it's sort of a bit more generational, it's, it's a bigger platform, you want to have the right mix it's always a balance right so we want to have an insight we want to have an iconic but we also want to have a qia and what it does is it gives us the right pools but also the right connectivity
3: what that's so interesting that you say what you're looking to build because perhaps people might have gotten the wrong end of the stick a few weeks ago when they saw that you took money from microsoft and you're building within their platform offering your services on microsoft why did you do that, if you're looking, I'm trying to insinuate and read between the lines, that you're building to be a big public company, individual, and scale great heights?
6: Look, and it, it might sound brazen, we're looking to build a trillion dollar business. We're not looking to sell for a few billions, not our MO. Um, because it's never about the money, as much as money is important. Uh, and so when you're, when you're looking to build that big, um, and you're looking to be that grassroots, and how stuff is used. Office is used everywhere. Windows is used everywhere. Um, there's a lot of patterns you learn from someone that's sort already of solved the problem. Uh, I think the second is, is always, again, it's balance. And so we have two corporates um, that have worked with us. One we haven't disclosed yet for obvious reasons. But um, with Microsoft, the key was alignment around mission. And you know, they, they want to digitally transform the world. Um, uh, alignment around values. You know, we just get along so important um, and it's a, it's a balance also with our cap table yeah. because um, it's not an investment because that's an exit, it's an investment because there is joint value that can be created when you bring those two platforms together.
3: Sachin Dev Dugal, co-founder of Builder AI that helps anyone be able to build websites, apps, you name it. Now, let's take a look at some of the impact of artificial intelligence on the financial sector in particular. What differentiates companies kind of slapping on chatbots to existing tech, to marketing and saying, look, this is us, this is AI, maybe we're starting to call it AI washing. And, well, those actually are on the differentiated side. Who's actually building the artificial end products that people really need? Let's bring in Ramsey here. Here's Eric Gaiman for more on this, because you've been coining and using this frame AI washing. Everyone doing it? Like, who, who is out there at the moment sort of naming that they've got some large language model or indeed got
0: some chatbot that's going to solve all your issues? I, I think far more companies are marketing the use of AI, how they have a chatbot that's going to revolutionize their industry, than are truly trying to solve problems. For me, I've never met a customer who said, I just wish I could chat with my bank account. I would ask you questions and learn things. Instead, they tend to ask things like, I'd like to pay less for the service I'm paying for. I'd like to automate my accounting, close my books quicker. Um, those are the kind of things. So I think often, Um, If you see companies claiming AI but you can't find real customers behind it, um, they're not talking about how they're integrating AI truly into the workflow of their software. It's probably AI washing. Mm
3: -hmm. Okay, so how do you ensure that what you're trying to market, what you're trying to
0: say doesn't come across as washing? It really starts um, first with starting with the customer, trying to understand their pain points. For us, our mission is to help companies spend less money and time. We help the average customer cut their expenses by 3.5% per year, and so one of the first things we did is within the user interface start to show companies where, upon renewal, Customers may be getting quoted higher rates than the rest of the market, so Mm -hmm. if you're paying for a software vendor and another customer is getting 20% less, integrating it into the interface. It's not creating new, novel interfaces people aren't already using, like chat interfaces, but including it in where people do things. Next, having it fade away. Um, We automate expense reports by pulling receipts when available from whether it's email, text messages, so you don't need to add an additional step. I think a lot of great AI is invisible.
3: Mm -hmm. So it's sort of running in the background, being far more efficient. suddenly realize how much more productive it's actually made you. From, from the perspective of which companies are coming to you asking for these sorts of issues, Like, have you had calls saying, look, I just need to understand what your artificial intelligence offering is? Or is it more that they are calling from wherever they are geographically saying I need to cut ex- cut expenses in this current economic environment?
0: It, it, it's a great question, certainly the latter. You know, we're supporting over 15,000 businesses, whether it's publicly traded companies like Eventbrite a Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Um, You know, to local businesses, and often what they're trying to do is say, look, um, I'm spending a lot already, whether it's thousands to millions Mm -hmm. um, per year, uh, I'd like to cut expenses down. Um, We spend a lot more time on closing our books, on our accountants manually um, keeping books and records, tagging transactions. Instead, often they're asking, I'd like to cut that time down so controllers can be asking strategic questions about the business, not bogged down in manual work. So it tends to come from the pinpoint they're actually happening, not if there's this new technology. Can you find some use for it for me?
3: What about you, though, as an employer? I think of what IBM came out and said, look, ultimately our back office in particular can be shrunk by at least a third. How are you thinking about either the productivity of your labor or the fact that perhaps you don't have to beef up your own talent pool as
0: much as you thought you did? Uh, You know, look, if if you came to someone and said, we're going to make someone on your sales team able to sell 50% more contracts, you'd say, I want more of that, (laughs) I'd like to hire more salespeople just like that. And we think that's exactly the case. When you have uh, members of your finance team, for example, that have a lot more time in the day and they're able not to be tagging receipts, you know, checking on what prices are, but instead getting better deals, closing your books faster, um, and fundamentally focusing on the strategic areas where you can be investing at higher return on investment. I want more folks like that. I think it's true in sales. I think it's true in finance. I think it's true um, in any part of an organization. And so I I believe uh, people will be more productive over time uh, and rather than working on low value tasks, um, making businesses better, more profitable Mm. businesses.
3: There's the optimism. Ramp CEO, we thank you, Eric Lyman. Meanwhile, still ahead. Look, a unique pact between Tesla and Ford. It's aimed at accelerating EV adoption. We're gonna tell you more about it next. Time for Talking Tech. This is Bloomberg.
1: Alongside Snaps, Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF.
3: And it's time now for Talking Tech. First up, a rare partnership between electric car rivals, Tesla and Ford. They're starting in spring 2024. Ford customers will have access to more than 12,000 Tesla superchargers across the US and Canada. Ford's EVs will have to use a special adapter, but its later models will have the Tesla charging capability built in starting 2025. Then, JP Morgan is working on a service software that's the likeness of ChatGPT. CNBC reporting, saying that the firm applied to trademark a product called IndexGPT. Service will help customers select investments tailored to their specific needs. Flows shares a Workday surging after it narrowed its outlook for annual subscription revenue. It's a key metric for measuring the demand for workday software, which helps businesses manage HR-related tasks. Workday also appointed a new CFO, Zane Rao, from VMware. Coming up. How is AI impacting the travel industry? We'll talk more with more from Choice Hotels CIO Brian Kirkland. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. Now, let's talk about travel because clear. Just think about the way in which you get through an airport. Well, its fees, are they still worth it? now that the TSA lines are kind of getting faster themselves. That's what many customers are wondering. Lately, Clear's lines have been backing up themselves with some annoyed travelers, citing a lack of staff, some fickle computers, and at times clumsy process of escorting people to TSA checkpoints, which could all be, of course, potentially due to Clear's own success and its explosive growth. And let's just stay in the travel industry now and take a look at how generative AI could transform it. I'm pleased to say Choice Hotels CIO Brian Kirkman joins us now to talk about, well, how have you as a business been thinking about generative artificial intelligence, been able to ensure that, look, your hotels are full when you want them to be?
7: You know, at the end of the day, Choice is a company. We've been using AI for a long time. Generative AI has the buzz right now. It's the thing that everybody's talking about. But really, the choice we've been using AI for a long time. We have a lot of systems out there, like our Choice Max system. It's it's a revenue management strategy and program that we rolled out that puts that decision making in front of the franchisees to be able to look at data from millions of data sets from all over the internet to figure out what is the right travel strategy, when are guests going to show up, what kind of uh, state do they want, and look at the, the right rate and revenue management strategy for their hotels, and they can do that from the beach if they want on their own vacation. So. It's a, it's a lot of fun for them to be able to, to manage their hotel that way. and We've been using AI for a long time to try to deal with just exactly what you're talking about.
3: I hope you're not advocating people should be working well on the vacation, Brian. But talk to us a little bit about, okay, I understand that perhaps this weekend is going to be a big one. I'm suddenly going to have basically 90% of my hotel full. Is it more mm-hmm. about ensuring you have the right staffing? What is it that they take from these data points?
7: It's, it's everything, right? It, it goes all the way from the developers at the very beginning of the cycle to figure out what is the right hotel and where is the right hotel. The franchisees managing and optimizing their staffing, looking at just the, the inventory they're buying, looking at the, the way they maximize their efficiency in the hotel, and then the consumers, putting in front of them where they want to go and what, what matches them. For our Choice uh, Privileges customers, to be able to look at their historical trends and figure out okay what's going to make you happiest in your journey in your trip and then make sure that the hotels are ready to be at full full bore when you show up
3: you claim to be the first hotel company to create your own cloud-based reservation system on AWS
5: mm-hmm.
3: ultimately how is that you know how have you thought as CIO to be ahead of the curve in that way how, how heavy a lift was it
7: um, after a journey with the cloud and a journey with transformative technology started years and years ago. We were the first company to put a property management system in the cloud back in 2005. And with Choice Edge, when we rolled that out, it was the first of its kind. We were the first company to commit to going all in with AWS. And it it really boils down to having a, a board and a leadership group that really understand that at the end of the day, Choice is three companies in one. We're a hospitality company, we're a technology company, and we're a franchising company. And that technology arm really does get the investment. We, we put the effort and energy into building Choice Max in the middle of the pandemic. Instead of kind of worrying about that. Uh, the pandemic, the, the, the energy was put into investment, right, and figuring out how do we make sure that we come out ahead. So we rolled that out in the middle of the pandemic, and it's, it's been a huge asset for our franchisees.
3: So if that board was potentially, not in serious talks, but potentially in talks to be eyeing another company. There are reports that Choice Hotels have been looking at Wyndham, for example. How easy or hard would that be to integrate another company if indeed that deal was going through?
7: You know, I can't speculate on on deals like that, but at the end of the day, generative AI or AI in general, it allows you to take data from all over the, the world and take millions of data sets and react quickly to information. So the things we're doing with our our trip planning, things we're doing for guests, the things we're doing with picking the right location for a hotel, picking the right revenue management strategy, all of those things are cored in the ability to, to use AI. And with technology where it's at and with the cloud where it's at today, we get to do that faster, quicker, better than we ever have been able to do in the past. So all of those technologies lead to the ability to react and make decisions better and faster.
3: Do you think, you said generative AI is the hot thing right now, ultimately mm-hmm. will that be weaved in far much more into my customer experience, if you're oh, already integrating artificial intelligence throughout from a predictive point of view, but from a generational point of view, are you able to save on your own costs on the, on the hotel franchise's own, own, you know, customer service hires, for example?
7: Uh, absolutely. I think one of the things that we're paying a lot of attention, we're working with our partners on is generative AI has all the buzz right now. It's it's the thing that everybody's looking at to be commercially viable and to be something that, that really transforms how we do business and not just you know how guests and, and you know people in the world use generative AI for the, the great, amazing things it does right now. But to commercially use it, we need to make sure that we can securely use it. So how do we get private data sets in there? How do we curate the answer to make sure that, for example, if we use that system to... Uh, enable our, our guests to find answers fast about what they're doing in our hotels or to our franchisees to figure out what's the right type of uh, strategy or even the policies around how they run run the business. To make sure that the right answer is coming back so it's curated it's accurate it's not based on old data it's based on the current set of of policies that maybe changed yesterday right those types of things so when we merge the power of generative ai Mm. with the ability to do it with the private data set that's curated then you really have something and that's something we're talking about with some of our partners and looking at i know uh, amazon uh, with bedrock recently talked about that i know microsoft talking about that so those things are coming when they do it will be transformative
3: brian great to speak with you Go have a wonderful Memorial weekend. I'm sure you will be Choice Hotels CIO, Brian Kaplan. Now, coming up, we've got to get back to it. NVIDIA getting close to a $1 trillion market valuation. So as traders really feed into this AI rally? We're going to get Kathy Wood's perspective. Of course, CEO, Chief Investment Officer of ARK Invest. Share her thoughts on the recent frenzy, why perhaps they dial back their overall exposure to NVIDIA. But she does have exposure to this one. Palantir, check it out. Shares currently up more than 7%. Remember, this is another company saying that they are all in in AI. In fact, they want the whole market. From New York, this is Bloomberg. easier said
8: done the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the carter economic forum powered by bloomberg join heads of state influential ministers and leading ceos to make new connections gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.
3: I want to welcome Bloomberg Television and radio listeners to Bloomberg Technology. Of course, the biggest tech story of the day surrounding artificial intelligence. You know it. And of course, the recent rally in the chipmaker NVIDIA. I'm pleased to say we've got the perfect guest joining us on this now. ARC CEO, CIO, founder, Kathy Wood, who basically as one, as our Eric Balchunas over at Bloomberg Intelligence put it, said you were in Nvidia before it was cool. You were buying it at $4 back in 2014. You rode the wave on this particular stock, Kathy, to 330 back in 2021. But the recent rally you've missed because the flagship ARK Innovation ETF, you sold out of your main stake back in January. Why?
8: Yes, uh, so if you um, uh, we're very positive on Nvidia, we have been very positive on Nvidia. We bought it down when it hit nearly a hundred dollars uh, in the fourth quarter last year uh, and and then it tripled as some of our other uh, AI oriented stocks stood still. So, uh, you know, we're looking at, believe it or not, many people do not believe this about us. We're looking at relative valuations of uh, names in the AI space. And we were looking at uh, NVIDIA 25 times sales, which is where it is. And Tesla, which is probably the biggest AI story out there, is at six times earnings. UiPath yesterday, uh, I mean, not earnings, six times sales. UiPath yesterday uh, reported it is a beautiful AI play. It, too, is at six times sales. And as far as NVIDIA goes, there are a few reasons we uh, we take some pause. It, it still meets our minimum hurdle rate of return, so 15% at a compound annual rate over five years. And so you'll see it in some of our more specialized portfolios. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're looking for uh, the better values. But the, the risks to uh, NVIDIA would include cyclical when i hear shortages 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 about gpus or anything i begin to think about um about the cyclicality of a group uh competition tesla is coming up with its own chip uh meta platforms google their own chips uh for more specialized large language models uh and and then the tech itself we're learning from meta platforms the llama model uh, is able to do with less computing power but more data, yeah. uh, it's able to deliver better models. So there are puts and takes here as there always are. How many frustrated investors have got in touch with you
3: via Twitter or the other forms in which you connect with your, your own purchases or the ETFs? I mean, there must have been a lot of frustration that you kept it in some funds but not the main ARC
8: ETF. Well, I'll tell you what has happened. Mostly is people who understood the Nvidia story. We were pounding the table on it on 2014, you know, really till 2021, um, and many people actually put it into their portfolios, their own portfolios, and they may have held it. We have not gotten uh, much pushback, and the reason is people know uh, that we are on we are on AI, but we're doing it in a little bit of a differentiated way. Nvidia has become a check the box stock. That's why the valuation is where it is. Um, uh, But we are looking for those plays uh, that have not only the the vision from management team point of view and broad distribution, but also proprietary data and AI expertise. So uh, we're just pivoting to another set of plays that most people have not discovered yet, much like they did not understand that NVIDIA was an AI play really until very recently. So,
3: Palantir you mentioned, or UiPath you mentioned, Tesla you mentioned, there's actually quite a few though, it seems relatively limited, overall AI-focused names that you have. Am I missing something there? Are there far more AI exposure within your flagship fund, or are you really just deciding that there are going to be a few key names that
8: you back? No, uh, Twilio would be another name. Almost every company, except for Well, actually, even including uh, the multiomics companies like Exact Sciences uh, uh, are using uh, their own proprietary data and their broad distribution networks to gather information and create better products and services. So I would say almost every company that we have in the portfolio is in some way, shape or form. We ask the question, how are you harnessing this uh, powerful tool? called uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, And I would say 90% of the names in the portfolio are harnessing it and do have proprietary data.
3: What caught my eye, and we've actually seen so much disruption already to the market capitalization of companies when they have found themselves disrupted by, for example, a ChatGPT. I think of Chegg, the education company. But you noted that Apple, for example, its apps platform could be disintermediated by ChatGPT platforms. Is that a key company that we need to worry about being disrupted? What other names do you think that come to mind that maybe the market has it wrong on how much they could be overwhelmed by this new competitor?
8: well uh for google uh chat G- gpt was either the worst thing that has ever happened to it or or maybe the best thing uh we tend to think it's going to be disintermediated though uh by chat gpt and uh, other chatbots so we're not going to need the kind of search and therefore advertising that drives uh google's model so we we do worry uh, about that one um, and as you said uh uh Apple. Uh, you know, there are many people who think that even Amazon is going to be disrupted not only by social commerce, so people just uh shopping through Instagram and uh other other social media sites, Pinterest, um, but uh it also could be disintermediated uh, as if consumers use chat G- GPT and other AI tools to say, I want exactly this kind of item at the cheapest price anywhere in the world. Uh, and it would go directly to that source. So, you know, any platform that has served as, you know, an intermediary is uh, is at risk, we would say. You've name checked a couple of
3: Meta's things now, Instagram, and you mentioned Llama. Is Meta something that you're doubling down on from an AI perspective?
8: So Meta is interesting to us. We, we uh, do like what it is doing. Uh, we love love its sophistication and the fact that uh, Mark Zuckerberg is now prioritizing artificial intelligence as opposed to the metaverse, which was really what he was uh, focused on last year. Uh, so so yes, we're we're interested in 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 Meta's uh, play here. We don't have it in the flagship portfolio. We do have it in other portfolios. We're speaking with Cathy Wood, CEO, Chief Investment Officer
3: of ARK Invest. Just to go back to where we started in NVIDIA, is there any entry point that gets you back in? You've actually been selling out from some of the other funds a little bit, perhaps with the profit you've recently taken in the run-up in the last couple of days. Anything that, despite its heady valuation, make you go, okay, it's not going to be disrupted in the way that we
8: were worrying. We're not going to see the supply chain wreak havoc. Um, You know anything for a price I would say if if this cycle were to worry we, we tend to think we're going to have a, a harder landing than most uh, most economists do um, if the cycle were to hit it and and Nvidia surprisingly gets hit very hard by cycles because the inventory builds ups buildups and I would say we're in one of those right now uh, are so spectacular if we uh, if we have a combination of a correction and the recognition by the marketplace perhaps that some of these models don't have to be as large and don't need as much computing power as more companies use more specialized uh, um, models. Uh, you know, you get the confluence of a reality check. You know, NVIDIA is just a very powerful company. They, they are so exquisitely positioned in the space, but you're paying for it now. Mm, but wh- having bought it at $4, how did it make you feel in your stomach?
3: when you saw 180 billion added in one day, like it did yesterday.
8: Well, uh, the the frustration yesterday was another one of our AI plays, uh, UiPath, uh, reported a quarter and revealed some products, AI products, and really uh, opened the kimono a little bit more in terms of what it is doing on the AI front. And it's going to to be one of the most interesting plays out there, I think. It was down 10% after beating numbers because it talked about the economy being uh, somewhat... uh, Variable, I think, is the word. Uh, it, 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 as using it's, uh, it, 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 it was fact, uh, focused on the macros, and that's what uh, analysts focused on. Now it's having a good day. It's up about ten percent today. I think. Yeah, up nine percent uh, on the day. So you didn't so feel
3: you didn't feel any frustration about Nvidia. You were more focused on UiPath.
8: Of course, of course. And and we publish our trades at the end of every day. And you'll see we bought UiPath in almost all of our portfolios, ARKK, ARKW, uh, ARKF, uh, ARKQ. Uh, so, uh, you know, we use those opportunities when we feel like the market isn't seeing something that we are, especially when it relates to artificial intelligence. So tell us what you're seeing with XAI, ai or with Tesla's focus
3: on AI? Today, Tesla getting bought because it's done a deal with Ford on its electrification and indeed the way in which you charge your cars. But what are we perhaps missing when it comes to being the number one artificial play, as you just said?
8: Yeah, yes, uh, the autonomous taxi network that we believe uh, Tesla is building. Uh, it has more data. Talk about proprietary data. It has more data on, of real-world driving miles than all of the other auto companies and technology companies like Waymo put together around the world, we would say, except for perhaps China, because we don't know exactly what's going on there. Uh, and we do believe that the autonomous taxi platform opportunity is a winner-take-most opportunity. The company that gets a person in an autonomous vehicle from point A to point B as quickly and safely as possible is probably going to get the lion's share of the market and that company will in the United States uh, we believe be Tesla and we believe globally that opportunity will scale from zero today to eight to ten trillion dollars in revenues uh, by 2030. Uh, So you can see why we're so excited by Tesla. It um, It is the furthest advanced from an AI point of view and it's even becoming a manufacturer of factories um, using artificial intelligence and becoming more and more and more efficient in manufacturing uh, factories and and cars. Uh, We think it's the most efficient in the world right now. And manufacturing in China, Kathy.
3: And I'm interested in, you reference this worry about, maybe it's not a worry. You talk about, at least in the US, are you looking at China, you're remaining exposed to China amid the trade tensions and indeed the tech tensions? Yes.
8: Yes, we, um, uh, our history with China after COVID was we plowed in during COVID because we liked what China was doing from a monetary and fiscal point of view. They were they were not overdoing it. Uh, and then, of course, we entered the period starting in November of 20, uh, where, you know, managements were basically banished from their companies and there were, were there was one restriction and regulation after another. And so we've pulled away quite significantly. Uh, Common prosperity, uh, it seems, uh, means very low profit margins uh, and uh, uh, services that reach into tier one, tier two cities. So uh, uh, JD Logistics uh, and and JD, we we have some of that, but um, we have minimized our exposure until until, uh, China basically uh, seems more inviting to capital once again. Let's talk politics closer to home the debt ceiling, many would say debacle,
3: debate, deal's still not done, default being uttered. What do Mm. you think about that, are you worried?
8: You know, with our five-year investment time horizon, and having been around this block a a number of times, uh, we know they're going to come to a deal. Uh, They are not going to deprive uh, government employees of their paychecks, social security, uh, so retirees of their paychecks. It'd be politically disastrous as we're heading into this election year, and and already the field has heated up so so significantly. So they're going to get through this. Uh, It's a very short-term Phenomenon. It might be a short-term fix, uh, and hopefully they do get serious about this at some point in time. But we don't think now is the time. We're speaking with Kathy Woods, CEO and
3: CIO of Ark Invest. You, of course, have been really frustrated yourself with the Federal Reserve. You've said in particular inflation is something they shouldn't be looking at. You still think that that there's deflation out there, but then when we get a CPE or PCE print like we did today, the personal consumption expenditure, 4.4%, is that still to you the wrong day to be looking at or you think deflation is coming after this swiftly?
8: Yes, I think when history books are written, we'll look back at this period and we'll see the sharp rise in inflation, uh, which was caused by massive supply chain, really supply shocks from COVID and the war in Ukraine and you will see so sharp increase and it feels like it's so slowly coming down but when the charts when you start looking at these charts in history this decline will be look very like it was very rapid and we will descend into deflationary ter- territory. Uh, Don Luswin wrote a, a, a piece. Uh, it was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, I believe, uh, about this. And I think the Fed uh, is going to be blamed for sending us into a deflationary period. Already we're getting negative uh, signs for guidance. Home Depot, it's same store sales down 3 to 5%. For the year now, they're expecting. We got uh, uh, GDI, which is the other side. So global, I mean. Uh, uh gross domestic income which is the other side of gross domestic product and they need to equal but they're at a record gap right now it's been negative so in recession territory for the last two quarters Uh, and i think many companies are going to feel a hard landing and it's going to come both from units and prices Uh, i think more and more companies are reporting this on their earnings report These these uh, economic statistics that take all the oxygen out of the room are hugely lagging and they're not even getting it right. If you look at the digital world, gross domestic product was that statistic was devised in the industrial age. We're in the digital age right now. So we pay more attention to gross domestic income, which tends to be more accurate as we're seeing these inconsistencies. Thank you for talking digital,
3: talking the world economy with us on the Mm -hmm. day ahead of the long weekend. We wish you a good one. Kathy Wood, CEO, CIO of ARK Invest. Thanks for joining. Meanwhile, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Go have yourself a wonderful long
1: memorial weekend, folks. From New York, this is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street,